Today in Canadian history for June 1st, I'm Mark Affo. The Cypress Hills Massacre occurred on this date back in 1873 in what is now southwest Saskatchewan. At the time, the Battle Creek Valley was home to two trading posts. One operated by Abel Farwell, the other by Moses Solomon. The valley was also home to a camp of approximately two to three hundred Nakoda people. I asked Royce E. W. Pettyjohn of Fort Walsh and Cypress Hills Massacre National Historic Site to explain what the site was like in the time leading up to the massacre. The Canada had recently acquired the Northwest Territories from the Hudson's Bay Company in 1869-1870. And with the acquisition of what had previously been known as Rupert's Land, Canada had really no presence here in the West. There was no military presence, settlement hadn't occurred, uh, the Northwest Mounted Police didn't even exist at the time. So Canada basically had uh, control of the, the territory in name only. As a result of that, American independent traders started looking into Canada to set up their uh, trading posts for the purposes of trading alcohol with the native people. It had been illegal in the United States since the 1830s, but very little had been done to enforce that law in the U.S. By the 1860s, uh, enforcement of the, the, the ban on the alcohol trade in Montana Territory was starting to get uh, a little more attention, and it was becoming increasingly difficult for independent traders to trade whiskey in Montana. So, as most of the whiskey trading was based out of Fort Benton, Montana, the uh, traders thought, well, we'll just go a little further north, across the 49th parallel into Canada, and we'll be able to set up our trading posts, trade with the natives, and uh, there'd be no government or military interference whatsoever. So by 1869, you see the traders start coming into Canada. Uh, Fort Whoopup was the first and most notorious of the uh, American whiskey trading posts operating in Canada, and then a proliferation of smaller independent traders would join them in what's now southern Alberta and southeastern Saskatchewan. At the end of the 1872-73 hunting season, Farwell and Solomon began to gather their furs with the help of about 10 Métis freighters. In late May, a group of wolfers also arrived in the area from the United States. Wolfers were hunters who were utilizing a very controversial method of catching wolves. They would shoot a bison and then lace the carcass with strychnine. This was an effective method of killing wolves that would pass by feeding on the carcass, and it also didn't damage their hide. But it also killed any other animal that happened by the carcass, including eagles and hawks that were considered sacred by the Nakoda people. It was also killing the Nakoda's dogs. As you can see, the First Nations people didn't exactly like the wolfers. Neither did the settlers for that matter. In fact, nobody liked the wolfers. And the wolfers didn't really like anybody back. Tensions were high all around. Royce Pettyjohn explains what happened that June 1st, 1873. The attack on the Nakota camp um, was primarily uh, initiated as a result of a misunderstanding related to a missing horse. Uh, one of Farwell, uh, Abel Farwell was one of the, the two trading posts that were involved in the massacre. And one of his uh, partners, George Hammond, had a horse go missing. And the Nakota from the camp were able to locate it and they brought it back. And as a result of having it brought back, George rewarded them with some whiskey. That's how the whiskey ended up in the camp of the Nakota. But uh, when the Wolfers arrived looking for a group of stolen horses, um, they 
were frustrated by the fact they couldn't find them. They certainly weren't in the Cypress Hills at that time. And after the, the drinking that had gone on, uh, George Hammond noticed that his horse was missing again. Uh, they sort of assumed that the Nakoda perhaps had taken it, and they went over to confront the Nakoda looking for the horse. And George brazenly went into the Nakoda camp uh, looking for his horse. And when he couldn't find it, he decided he was going to take two of the uh, Nakoda's horses as uh, security until his was returned. And as he was leading the horses out of the camp, of course, uh, some of the young men took great offense to his actions, barging into a, a camp, accusing them of theft, and uh, sort of a, a verbal argument broke out. And Farwell tried to intercede, but uh, by the time he got there to try to help mediate, uh, tempers were, were quite high on both sides. He sent for his interpreter, but before his interpreter could get there, a shot was fired and uh, the uh, the massacre had begun. The massacre resulted in 23 confirmed Nakoda deaths, including women and children. One wolfer was also killed. The Nakoda's camps were raided, and both of the trading posts were burned to the ground. And uh, it was news of the massacre that really hastened the organization and dispatch of the Northwest Mounted Police to Western Canada. The irony was that the bill creating the force had been passed in Parliament uh, just, you know, days before the massacre took place. But uh, very little was done to initiate the organization of the new force, let alone uh, dispatch them to the West. And when news of the massacre reached Ottawa, uh, it was the uh, the catalyst that was needed to get the ball rolling. And immediately they started the process of organizing the force, uh, appointing officers, recruiting men, and so on and so forth. And uh, the next spring, the first approximately 300 Northwest Mounted Police were on the march west to create a presence here in Western Canada. And one of the very first objectives that the Northwest Mounted Police had, uh, even during their march west, was to gather uh, evidence, testimony, and information about the Cypress Hills massacre so that they could proceed with arrest warrants and uh, try to bring to justice the men that were responsible for the massacre. Uh, of course, being Americans, they were in the United States, so the first uh, the first step in that process, once they had uh, built their case, was to arrange an extradition hearing, which took place in Helena, Montana. They attempted to extradite these uh, men to stand trial in Canada. Unfortunately, the extradition hearing was unsuccessful, and they were unable to have the men brought to Canada for trial. However, three of them, for whatever reason, were later found on Canadian soil, uh, two near Fort McLeod and uh, one at Fort Walsh. They were arrested in Canada. Uh, they spent a short period of time in jail at Fort Walsh before being sent to Winnipeg, where they stood trial for first-degree murder. And at the end, uh, the uh, the uh, prosecution was unable to to prove premeditation, which was uh, one of the requirements for the uh, first-degree murder charge. And in the end, they were acquitted of first-degree murder. But the the uh, efforts of the Northwest Mounted Police, and they spent a great deal of time and a lot of money on trying to extradite and bring to, to justice these men, went a long way to show that uh, you know the Northwest Mounted Police were here 
to uh, to enforce the law equally for all of the Queen's people. Today is a day full of Canadian history. Construction began on the Canadian Pacific Railway on this date back in 1875. On this day back in 1813, the American ship, the USS Chesapeake, was captured by the British HMS Shannon during the War of 1812. Also on this date, Sir James Clark Ross claimed the North Magnetic Pole for Britain. And as always, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CGSW 90.9 FM. The executive producers are Joe Burma and Mark Affeld. Original music is produced by the Fisk, Fletcher and May Trio. Our series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cgsw.com slash today in Canadian history. All right, once again, it's Canadian quiz time. Who drove the famous last spike in the Canadian Pacific Railway? Was it Lord Stanley, Lord Strathcona, Lord Beaverbrook, or Lord Burton? It was actually Lord Strathcona who drove the last spike.